Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our study, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult. Give it up for Clint way back there. What is it? Part 13? Hey, and who wants to say the tagline? And micromanaging small writing guy. That's called the Untold History of the Charismatic Movement. That's right. We've only been through it 31 times now. But anyway, we'll get it. Uh, uh, but by way of recap, speaking of uh, that, uh, we've already seen the whole premise uh, with the charismatic chaos is, again, as I open up in prayer, sometimes we're looked down upon as we're the ones that are missing out. And some of this behavior, and uh, I don't think I want to emulate that, unfortunately. But the untold history of the charismatic movement, this is the part two section. We've already dealt with the section with the aberrant teachings and all kinds of stuff of that nature. Unfortunately, now we're dispelling the other thing. They say, okay, well, I, I know that's not really what the Bible says, and, and, and I know it kind of freaks you out, and I know it looks like the occult, but you don't understand. This is a movement of God's spirit in the last days. That's why it's so weird and strange. Really? No, it's not. And what we've been seeing is this has been going on for the longest time. After the death of the last apostle, Montanism, and then 1,800 years we went through, and I just shortened our timeline, obviously. Then they say, well, it really began at the Azusa Street Revival, and we've been seeing, hey, folks, that's just been going on throughout the last the death of the last apostle. So that's not even true. But anyway, so if you want to play that game, uh, Zuzi Street Revival, again, we saw last time, man, that thing was not from God. There's all kinds of aberrant, satanic, uh, witchcraft, seances, all kinds of freaky stuff going on there. It's not from God. But they say that's where it began. But it, the, the, what they got right is it began to spread, spread across from the Azusa Street Revival across America and across the world. But part of why it spread so much is because, man, they split right and left. So why is there so many splits? And there's splits, I'll give you know, the benefit of the doubt. There's splits in other denominations. But by and large, why are there so many splits over and over again in charismatic communities? Well, when the premise is this, that you're not really relying on the word of God, but you got some supposed word outside the word of God that God told me to tell you, or God, you're bound to split. You have no unity, okay, because you're outside of the word of God. So guess what? That group that God supposedly told them that they're supposed to wear black robes splits off from, well, this group said God told me to wear red shoes and, and, and. And that's where a lot of that goes. Okay, then we saw it led to this group called Oneness Pentecostalism. We saw that is not Christianity. It is definitely a works-based salvation. They say that you have to be baptized by one of them, which discounts anybody prior to 1914 getting saved, which is ridiculous. Uh, Then they say you got to be baptized not only by one of them, but it has to be in Jesus' name only, and that's not even biblical as well. Uh, But then they say you have to speak in tongues, i.e. gibberish is really what's going on in order to be saved. That's a works-based salvation. That's not Christianity. Also, another split that happened after Azusa was the birth of the Assemblies of God, also in 1914. And so we took a look at that thing, and we saw, well, there's some interesting things going on there with their history, beliefs, and behavior, okay? Uh, first of all, what we saw was, uh, according to their own uh, promotional videos, uh, they're being dishonest. Uh, number one, that Izusa Street was from God. As we saw again, we took a look at that. There's, again, witchcraft, all kinds of aberrant stuff, things that were not of God that were there. So that was dishonest. They were dishonest about it being some incredible, unifying, uh, interracial revival where all people of all colors got along. That's not true. We saw that uh, wasn't, that uh, all kinds of divisions and racial divisions were going on at that point. Uh, In fact, the Assemblies of God, it was 300 white pastors breaking off from the African community that started the Assemblies of God. How do you explain that one? whatever. Uh, Then, of course, their teachings, typically charismatic, they believe that there's this second dose of the Holy Spirit that you and I are missing, uh, and that's not from the the scripture, and the evidence of that is supposedly speaking in gibberish. We've already been through that, and of course, typically, most charismatics believe that you can lose your salvation. So that's that. We then begin to take a look with the assemblies of God. What about the people coming out of this movement? Has that been a blessing to the church? I don't think so, and that's where we begin to take a look at uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Woo! Uh, Paul and Jan Crouch, Assemblies of God as well. Uh, Jessica Hahn, Jimmy Swaggart. Hey, well, if one thing that they've uh, propelled in uh, and excelled in, unfortunately, has been scandals and, frankly, a bad witness to the lost is the problem. But we're just getting started. Uh, we got a lot more to go of people who are coming out of the Assemblies of God movement. Okay, but let's remind ourselves again, like we did last time, when we gather as Christians, okay, how are we to be a blessing to one another? What does God say we're supposed to be doing and how can we be instruments of blessing for one another when we gather together as the church? Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five, that's our opening text there. 
And uh, of course, Ephesians was written to Ephesians, you biblical scholars. And uh, Ephesians chapter 5, if you find Malachi, what do you do? Pretty hard right, yeah. A little good right there. You're getting there, stalling some time. Uh, We're going to start with verse 15. Of course, Paul again, just like we saw last time, you know, as he encourages, what do you do when you get together as a church, right? Well, this time in Ephesians, he's encouraging the Ephesians church. Here's what you need to do. But Ephesians 5, verse 15, here's what Paul says. Be very careful then how you live, not as what? Unwise, okay? Use your brain, got to be smart. Uh, You don't want to be going out there being uh, unwise, but as wise. Uh, You need to make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. So be smart with your time. Be smart with your decisions. Be a good witness as you're out there. It's going to get worse you go, so you need to be wise. But then he also says this. On top of that, you don't be wise. He counteracts it with the opposite. You need to be wise and don't be foolish. Well, how many guys, when your day, when you got up today, said, man, God, I just can't wait to get out there and be a fool. You know what I'm saying? This, this is my life goal. In fact, I hope I'm even more foolish than I was yesterday. You know, I'm, I want to be a foolaholic. That's what it is. No, a foolosaurus rex, a fool-reno or whatever. All, I, I, I've got to be a fool today. Hopefully that's not your life goal, right? And Paul says, don't do that. Don't be foolish. Well, how do you not be? How, how, uh, please fill in the blank for me so I don't be that fool. Here's what he says. Number one, don't be a fool. Instead, you need to what? Understand what the Lord's will is. So if you're not going to be a fool, what's the first thing Paul says you better get into? Where do you understand what God's will is? Back here, folks. Back to the Bible, right? You don't be a fool. Understand God's will. You will find God's will right here. You don't need to get some word from God or I had a dream or somebody told me if I only knew what God, well, God told me to tell. Get in the Bible. Don't be a fool. It's right there. Right, that's number one. Number two, now listen to this. He says, don't get drunk on wine. Why? Well, because that's a great witness, right? Isn't that awesome? He's going out there witness to people and you're out there slovenly drunk and, and man, that's just, man, so many people come to Christ when they see a drunk. Yeah, whatever. Okay, he says, don't get drunk on wine because why? That leads to what? Debauchery, right? It's not a good thing. That, that would be not wise, it would be foolish. So if you don't get into the word of God, you're going to be a fool. You're going to start acting like a fool, right? And then if you start getting inebriated, okay, and by the way, when you drink too much alcohol, whose control are you under? You start thinking and doing dumb things because you're under the control of alcohol. So he's saying, don't do that. Don't let alcohol control you. Listen to this. He also says this. Instead, be filled. Now the Greek word there, guess what it literally means? to be under the control of. It doesn't mean like feeling like you're filling in a bucket. That's where a lot of people get this wrong. It means to be under the control of. He's following the same line of reasoning as the right before it when he says, don't get drunk, don't get under the control of wine. Instead, if you want something to control you, who's it supposed to be? The spirit of God. It's a control issue that's going on here. It's not a lack issue, okay? Speak to one another with uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord uh, and and, uh, Savior Jesus Christ, okay? So here's another passage from Paul. He says, if you don't want to be a fool, if you want to be wise, make the most of the time. The day is getting evil. And uh, if you're going to be a blessing uh, in your walk with Christ, also to the body of Christ, number one, you need to get busy getting into the word of God as much as you can. You need to understand God's will uh, so you can do God's will, follow his will, okay? But he also says, be careful. Don't let something else control you and lead to debauchery. Don't let, in fact, make sure that it is the true spirit of God that is controlling you. Scripture also says that when God's spirit controls you, what's that lead into? Paul says, Galatians 5, when you walk and live and keep in the step of the Spirit of God, what's the side effect? The fruit of the Spirit. When you, how do you know that God's Spirit is controlling you? You distribute love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? That's a sign that the Holy Spirit is in there. And is God a God of disorder, chaos? Absolutely not. So when you're under the control of the Spirit of God, it's going to be orderly. It's not going to be chaotic. And it's going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Can we agree on that? Right? That is not what's going on uh, with the charismatic movement. And it certainly is not what's going on, as we're going to see tonight, with more people coming out of the Assemblies of God. Okay? Now, our next guy that we're going to talk about is this guy. Let me throw up his picture here. This guy, his name is Steve Hills. You can see there he passed away a few years back. 
Okay. And uh, this guy is the guy who is, quote, responsible for what we're told is one of the most amazing events in our lifetime in the history of the church called the Brownsville Revival. How many of you guys heard of that? Okay. And uh, he gets the credit for it. It's a, a so-called Christian revival. Keyword there, so-called. Within the Pentecostal movement, began on Father's Day, June 18th, 1995, in the Brownsville Assembly of God in Pensacola, Florida. It's also known as the Pensacola Outpouring. Uh, in 1993, two years before it began, okay, uh, the Brownsville pastor at that time, it was a guy named John Kilpatrick. Listen to this. He began directing his congregation to pray for revival. All right, that's not bad. That's a good thing. Uh, over the next two years, he talked constantly about bringing revival to the church. Revival is the work of the Spirit of God. You don't bring it, but whatever. So for two years, he's hammering this thing home. And, kind of had that. and then, listen to this, he even went so far as to threaten to lead the church if they didn't accept revival. Talk about peer pressure. That would give somebody the, the, the premise like, we better whoop something up or our pastor's going to leave. That ain't the Spirit of God. It gets worse as you go. So then all of a sudden, something happened. On that Father's Day, June 18th, 1995, this so-called revival began. And that was because, again, this guy uh, came in. He brought him in. I'll tell you why in a second. Steve Hills, a guest speaker. And all of a sudden, they said, quote, a mighty wind blew through the church. Well, it's because an earthquake happened. What happened is half the structure of the building fell apart. And it was a windy day. And so, no, but see, that's some of their code word. The mighty wind of God, the spirit, the fire, the fresh fire, fire, fire. Remember all that? Yeah, that's some of the verbiage that they uh, use. And they said, man, this is it. And all of a sudden, big revival broke out. Well, anyway, by 1997, okay, so it starts there. Uh, it was common that what was going on was periods of dancing and singing and the altars were packed with hundreds of writhing and uh, dead uh, still bodies. Uh, it, it progressed. Uh, people were supposedly ha- having supernatural healings. Uh, although, quote, the church told local news reporters that for some reason did not keep record of the healings. Wonder why. Uh, but, but the primary part of the revival ended in 2000 when Hill moved on. This guy, he moved on uh, to pursue other works. So they brought this guy in, okay, and when he leaves, it basically falls apart. Does that sound like the Spirit of God? Sounds like some guy came in and whooped the thing up, and for two years, the congregation was, I mean, the pastor's going to leave, and they started to do something. So where did this thing come from? Well, believe it or not, as we've seen, a lot of the charismatic movement, even though it's not true, because we've seen our examples through many weeks throughout history, this behavior is nothing new under the sun. It's been going on. Okay, this aberrant behavior. They want to say it all started at the Azusa Street, what? What's the key word there? Revival. And what we're going to see is a lot of these denominations, even up to today, that's their big goal. We have to go back and somehow if we can create another revival. And that's what they do. And typically after every single one of these so-called revivals, which are not from God, in my opinion, uh, that they have even more splits. So again, I don't see that as a fruit of the Holy Spirit, but whatever. So this one that we're talking about from Steve Hill, this Brownsville so-called revival, okay, he got it and the the leadership got this idea from another one that happened prior to that. You might've heard of this one as well. The so-called Toronto revival, also known as the Toronto blessing. But when you take a look at what was going on there, it was not a blessing to the church at all. In fact, it certainly was not even a blessing to a witness for the church. But this Toronto so-called blessing, this revival, uh, influenced the Brownsville revival. Also another one called the Lakeland revival, which I'll get in a little bit. And again, notice how, what's the goal? The goal isn't, I got to understand God's will. I got to be in the word of God every single day. I got to know it. I got to do it. I I got to, otherwise I'm going to end up being a fool. It ain't that. We got to recreate revivals. And what they mean by revival is all this weird aberrant behavior. Uh, no wonder there's all kinds of splits and it's not being a blessing, right? But this Toronto thing, uh, they said influenced these other ones, Brownsville, Lakeland, but they actually still to this day, as far as the Toronto one, I'll get into the behavior in just a second, but they say, quote, that was the, quote, greatest thing that's happened in the church in the last 100 years. Really? But let's take a look at that. 
A revival known as the Toronto Blessing happened. In 1994, as guest speaker Randy Clark ministered, along with pastors John and Carol Arnott, the Holy Spirit suddenly took over the service. This happened again powerfully day after day for years, drawing people from around the world. Heidi Baker came from Mozambique, where she was a missionary, and saw her life radically transformed in Toronto. Now she leads a global ministry that started some 11,000 churches. The Toronto Blessing was certainly lively. People would be convulsed with wild laughter. Hundreds would be knocked to the floor at the same time. See, we were used to people receiving the Holy Spirit maybe falling down one at a time. I'd never seen a whole room fall out like Boom, they're all out. In the face of such miracles, Arnott suggests people not judge what God can or can't do. I'm sorry that not everybody liked it, not everybody wanted it. I'm sorry about the guys that spoke against it. They missed the greatest thing that has ever happened to the church, in my opinion, in the last hundred years. As some religious leaders heard of these events, they warned the signs and wonders were of the flesh or maybe even the devil. And that's the camp that I'd be a part of. When you take a look at what was going on there, uh, because basically it's the same uh, ungodly, ugly, I'll just say it, satanic behavior that we saw last week. Again, what really went on in this Azusa Street revival. This is not from God. But yet somehow this is the greatest thing that's happened since 100 years. Really? You mean like other people getting saved? That's not greater than wiggling on the ground? Barking like a dog? Roaring like a lion? Being paralyzed for hours on end? That's better than souls getting saved, Christians being discipled, knowing God's will. That's what they say. Anyway, but listen to this. It, it came synonymous, this Toronto blessing, with the, the, the behavior with, quote, religious act, uh, ecstasy, ecstatic worship, that's the gibbering thing, being, quote, slain in the spirit, uncontrollable laughter, emotional or physical euphoria, crying, healing from emotional wounds, healing of damaged relationships, the electric waves of the spirit, holy laughter, overwhelming joy, roaring like lions or making other animal noises. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like you're under the control of something that is not the Holy Spirit of God because it's leading to debauchery, which is the exact opposite of the text we just read. I'm not saying you're not under control of something. I'm not saying you didn't feel something. I'm not even saying that there's not some sort of spirit behind what you're doing. I'm not convinced it's the spirit of God because it's not producing the fruit of the spirit, okay? Now, also on top of that, just like we saw before, quote, at this Toronto uh, so-called blessing, more than 300 of the visitors claimed that they supernaturally received gold or silver uh, fillings in their teeth during those meetings. Because we all know that that's the greatest thing that's ever happened in the last hundred years. That's why Jesus came. Because he knew that in our time that uh, our teeth would be in such bad shape, probably from eating chicken, you know it's true, right? That, that God would somehow, because we can't go to a dentist, I don't know why, but we, we, we just supernaturally have to have gold or silver teeth. Whatever. But that's, that's the big thing. Now, uh, obviously people saw this uh, as spiritually dangerous, which I would agree. The laughter portion, the unholy uh, laughter, I would call it, was endorsed by Benny Hinn, Oral Roberts, and Pat Robertson. The Toronto thing, which we'll probably have studies on all of those guys eventually. Uh, critics referred to it as doing obviously more damage than good. And quote, people were enslaved into altered states of consciousness where they began to demonstrate uh, obscure reality. Uh, so again, what happens when you get into an altered state of consciousness? Some other spirit, not from God, can begin to take over and control your body. Uh, in fact, as we saw, when you get yourself whooped up into an altered state of consciousness, you very well could be under the control of what was called the kundalini spirit, right? And a lot of the jerkings and the twisting and the barking and all that stuff, that's nothing new under the sun. As we saw before, that's the same thing that goes on in the occult, in New Age, and even Hinduism, Let's revisit that, and you tell me if this is the Spirit of God. The stuff that's been invading in the last, say, 16 to 17 years, I believe it's the worst invasion in church history. So we've got a lot to look at. And my background is I've been involved in the charismatic movement myself for over 25 years. I've been part of the prophetic movement. I was part of that movement for 11 years. So I saw all of this incredibly alarming and disturbing stuff coming in uh, while I was involved. Now the basic question that we're asking in this documentary is why are these manifestations so similar to Eastern religions and Hinduism and the Kundalini cults 
And yet they're not found in scripture, they're not found in the Bible, they're not found in classical Christianity at all. Of course, in Hinduism, one of the most common ways of experiencing a kundalini awakening is through a guru placing his hand upon your forehead. This is called Shaktipat. And when they do that, you'll be infused with this incredible love and this wave of emotion. You'll fall down. There'll be all these manifestations, maybe animal noises, uh, joy and weeping and shaking. This is a kundalini awakening. And amazingly, it is exactly the same as what we have been seeing. Isn't it incredible that starting around 1994, this stuff could invade the entire charismatic church movement almost worldwide on a vast scale, and yet it's absolutely identical, seemingly, to Kundalini Hinduism. Now, one of the very clearest signs of a kundalini awakening has always been these kriyas. You see this woman involved in the New Age movement. She's walking along exhibiting these kriyas happening, involuntary uh, jerking motions. And the staggering thing about it is that we are seeing again and again and again these exact same type of kriyas. This has always been one of the clearest signs of kundalini that we know of. A friend of mine from South Africa who's done a tremendous amount of research on this topic says that Kundalini is like a false Holy Spirit. It produces even miracles and healings and fusions of love and power and energy and emotion and uh, all these kinds of things and yet it's the Hindu version of the Holy Spirit and it's not holy. Now tell me, how could this happen? How could this stuff invade the whole charismatic movement on such a scale? How could these leaders, these big leaders, support it? And how on earth are we supposed to turn around such an invasion? Well, I'll tell you how. You get right back here to the Word of God. How'd they fall for it? Because guess what they're doing? They're seeking for an experience, and they got an experience. But it ain't the Spirit of God. As we saw already throughout their history, uh, the early founders of their movement uh, were influenced by, guess what? New Age, Hinduism, and things of that nature. So it's not a surprise. But the way that you counteract it is you get back to the Word of God. Any of those things you just saw is not only not from God, you are not going to become a disciple of God. You're not going to become a disciplined learner of God's Word if that's all you crave for. Okay, one guy puts it this way. Again, we're still on the Toronto movement, which in a revival, so-called, because it influenced the Brownsville uh, one. One guy says this so-called Toronto blessing can scarcely be called such. Absolutely nowhere in Scripture can one find a precedent for what was happening there. The nearest Scripture, though, that comes to describing the paralysis and the bizarre behavior at that so-called blessing was uh, mentioned in the Scripture when it talks about the effects of demonic possession. So if you want to talk about where you find it in Scripture, that's probably what you're going to get if you're being honest. Although the guy, you saw the interview, pastor or not, which by the way, his wife was a pastor, which is also another false teaching we saw. Uh, he said, they're, they're, here's their focus. Now what do we say the focus is when you gather together? You need to get into the word of God, right? You need to be under control of the spirit of the God. Which, and you know that's happening when you start to produce the spirit of God, his fruit, okay? Here's what he said, quote, the whole thing was about, quote, uh, focusing exclusively on, quote, the party of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't sound like you're getting in the Bible to me, all right? And they had, their experiences were given higher esteem than scripture. And again, now you're going outside the word of God and you're elevating that above the Bible. No wonder you're in trouble. He says, rather what happens is the believer needs to focus on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, not oneself, not one's experiences. And the Toronto so-called blessing obviously focuses on the lat to the detriment of biblical faith. Now, believers can have fun. Is it against the law to have fun? Uh, you, you can dance and sing and even shout to the Lord. However, when a so-called worship service becomes a free-for-all and it's full of fits, seizures, and uncontrolled outbursts, even though you attribute it to the Holy Spirit, something's wrong. Because that's not how the Holy Spirit operates. 
when you are completely out of control. God is not a God of chaos, but of order and a sure sign that you're operating, walking, living, and keeping in step with the Spirit of God. You produce the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, and again, self-control. You're out of control. That is not the Spirit of God. That's a different kind of spirit, okay? But let's continue on. But again, this is what influenced this guy, Steve Hill, the Brownsville Revival. Again, you're seeing a pattern here. After Azusa, they just, that's what, they, that's what apparently you live for. We just somehow got to recreate that thing. Bury that thing in a grave and leave it alone, get back to the Bible. But that, that's the trend, okay? Now, back to that. There was all, not only problems with this same behavior, Brown, this so-called Brownsville Revival is the same thing that went on in Toronto, which is the same thing over here, and none of it was from God, okay? There's that pattern there, shocker, okay? And, uh, but there was also, just like the other revivals, a ton of false teachings coming out of Brownsville Revival. They preached a false Jesus, a false spirit, and a false gospel. Let me give you some of that proof. Now, uh, the leaders there, uh, the, uh, were big in this uh, holy laughing, uh, ho- they called it holy laughter. But again, as we saw, just because you put Christianese on it, does that make it from God? Right? Just because you said it's drunk in the spirit, does that mean it's from the spirit of God? Because you said slain in the spirit, does that mean it's, because you call it holy laughter, that means it's from, no. But that's what they do. Well, that was started by a guy named Rodney Howard Brown, which we may have a whole study on him eventually. He's the one that really got that so-called laughing revival going. But uh, Mr. Brown teaches that Jesus was not God while he was here on earth. Quote, nothing Jesus did was because he was the son of God. The Bible says he laid aside his royal robes of deity. And when he walked on earth, he did so as a prophet under the Abrahamic covenant. No, he's fully God. He's fully man at the same time. You just denied the deity of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, the pastor of this Brownsville so-called revival church, uh, Mr. Kilpatrick, in his book, When the Heavens Are Brass, he claims that Jesus, quote, did not move in omnipotence on the earth. Wow. So is it any surprising, I'm still getting going, uh, that you see something that you said came from God, this so-called revival, but it's not from God, and you only have this weird, unbiblical behavior and ungodly behavior, but you start getting ungodly teachings coming out here? That tells you where the spirits come from. Does God contradict himself? Does the spirit of God lie? Does the spirit of God say one thing over here, but then he says something? No. Okay. Uh, Therefore, as one guy says, this revival cannot be a movement of God. Okay. They also have a false uh, Holy Spirit. Okay. The spirit of Brownsville... Uh, was localized, transferable, and imparted only through various occult techniques, okay, that caused unchristlike behavior like barking, roaring, vomiting, shaking, and paralysis. Is that from the Spirit of God? Is that what the Holy Spirit does? When he comes upon you, you vomit? You bark like a dog? I hope not. But that's what they said happened. Not only that, they say apparently that the Holy Spirit is only confined to one place. They said, in order to encounter this spirit, you have to go to Brownsville. So now God's contained to your town, and specifically not just your town, but the place where you meet. This is denying, obviously, the Holy Spirit of the Bible is omnipresent. He's not bound by your location, okay? And there's another thing. Uh, Listen to this. A former, quote, prayer team member recounts what they were instructed during this so-called revival. Quote, while on the prayer team, listen, we were were instructed to not, to specifically not ever pray in Jesus' name. We were told to not even pray for the needs of people. Quote, the only thing we were to do was to touch people on the forehead, like the Hindus, and say more Lord and keep repeating that until there was quote an impartation i.e. until something happened and quote any deviation from the procedure will result in being removed from the prayer team and this is supposed to be from God another technique and this is all part of getting into an altered state of consciousness so something could happen but it ain't the spirit of God is they told people to turn off their minds as we see that we saw in our New Age study and our studies in Hinduism and Buddhism, that's exactly what you do to get into an altered state of consciousness so a spirit can take control of you. Uh, but back to Rodney Howard Brown. He says for people to tune out saying, you can't understand what God is doing in these meetings. Don't think, turn your mind off. Steve Hill, during this time frame, said, now let yourselves go. Don't even think about what you're doing. Forget about those around you and what they're doing. Release your mind. 
No, the Bible says you need to pray with your mind, use your mind, right? And uh, things of that nature. You, you need your mind. Last time I checked, okay? We are commanded to think, okay? In fact, the Bible says that we are to love God. How do you know you're, you're loving God? You love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and they're actually telling you to not use your mind. So actually, technically, they're asking you to disobey God, if you think about it. But it's also dangerous because, again, when you start doing that, that's a new age technique. In fact, the Bible, if you were here on Sunday on a character of God study, you saw that we are to renew our minds with the word of God to become a disciple. And here they are saying, you need to check out your mind. Very dangerous. Also, with our minds, if you check out your mind, how are you going to discern between what's true and what's not true? How are you going to know if you're even being lied to? You're not even thinking about that because you're told to turn your mind off. So it's a huge setup. This is why there's so many errors with this revival, a false Jesus, a false spirit, and a false gospel. False gospel, let me give you that real quick. Brownsville claims, here's what you need. This is their so-called gospel that they were promoting during this so-called revival. You must, number one, turn from your sins, repent, and clean up your life. Is that the gospel? Nope. Anybody glad that uh, God didn't say, all right, I'm glad you're coming to me, but uh, you better get your act straight first. How many lost people actually think that? This is what they were preaching at this so-called revival, right? Make a pub, you also have to make a public confession of faith. I'm not against that. But what if you got saved and you died on the way there? Oh, well, according to their false gospel, you ain't saved. You need to, quote, three, live a holy life from that day forward. Well, that's great. That is a good thing to do. But problem is none of us can do it. But this is their so-called gospel. And you got to be baptized in water to have one's cleanse, uh, sins cleansed. Is that true? No, baptism's good, but that's not how you get saved. You turn that into a work, but that's what was preached. Uh, in fact, Steve Hill said, God wants to set you free, but quote, you have to do your part. There is also a pardon from you, but only after you confess, repent, and submit your life to him. If you don't repent of your rebellion, if you fail to obey God and get right with him, then your wicked heart won't be cleansed. Wow. That's workspace all the way. Okay, continue on. Uh, also, Steve Hill said, transformation comes as a result of water baptism. Man, dude, now you're back over here with the, the false gospel of one is Pentecostalism, but what's the common denominator? It's the charismatic root. Okay, that's a work spot. This is a very different uh, uh, teaching, obviously, on salvation. It's not salvation. The Bible points us to the fact that a person to be saved, you must simply believe or trust in Jesus Christ, i.e. his work on the cross for your salvation. Salvation is a free gift. It's not a contractual obligation. But for that reason and many more, uh, let's go back to your question. Is this a blessing to the body of Christ? Is this a man, this is a great witness. And man, and, and all these people, they were going to the altar. Surely they were responding to what these guys were saying and getting saved right and left. I mean, even if you disagreed with their weird, wacky behavior, at least people were getting saved. Well, if that's what you were preaching, that ain't the gospel. That was a complete waste of time. Wow, that's sad. Now, again, real quick, because we've got to get to some of the other two big guns. Uh, this led to another one. So you got Azusa Street Revival. Again, it's all about revival. If we could just repeat this revival. Goes to Brownsville, uh, starts with Toronto, then goes to Brownsville, then it led to another one in Florida as well called Lakeland. I'm not going to go in great detail because I think you're getting the idea. They just want to repeat this revival thing uh, over and over again. But this is from Mr. Todd Bentley. Remember him? We've already dealt with him. Right? The guy that kicked, God's spirit told me to kick that lady in the face. <laughs> Round and pound. Remember that? And that's how people get their healing, all that crazy stuff. Right. So this is that guy. And supposedly he was the guy that headed up this Lakeland revival thing. Okay. Obviously, well, guess what was, what's the common denominator? The same crazy manifestations and so-called experiences and all that stuff. Okay. Uh, but, but also, quote, supposedly divinely inspired visions, prophecies, and even dreams from God. In fact, here's Todd Bentley's second wife. We already dealt with all this. And she had a dream from God. And it was radical, 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 as you will see in just a minute. You tell me if this is from God. And I'm going to have my wife, Jessa, share a dream that she had. So a couple of nights ago, I had a dream where Oral Roberts was speaking to Todd. They were, I, I didn't understand what they're saying, but I remember they were talking. And then he looked over and he saw me and he stopped. 
and he ran over to me and he put his hands over my eyes and he said what do you see and so I looked and I didn't see anything at first and then all of a sudden I saw this elephant racing across my eye and Oral Roberts said he put his his hands over my eyes and said what do you see and I said I didn't see anything at first and then all of a sudden I saw this elephant racing across my eyes and it was it was dancing it was going crazy it was just it had this big smile and it was just just going crazy and I said it's a a wild elephant I see a wild elephant and then I said what's what's with the elephant he said exactly what is it with the elephant and then I looked again and in in that vision what was highlighted was the trunk of the elephant I said it's the elephant nose and he said yes I said it's discernment and he said exactly and then he says do you see the lion and I closed my eyes again and then I saw the lion and the lion it was just a golden lion and I woke up and um, when I woke up literally I woke up in the middle of the night and I just felt like the Lord was highlighting things to me about the dream is discerning the times and season by getting a hope from God um, whew, getting getting a hope from God to be able to see to discern the times and the seasons that's ahead of you and the thing about the elephant it wasn't just an ordinary elephant it was a wild elephant a wild elephant it was radical 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 and the elephant means a great impact and I really felt like what happened in Lakeland was just the beginning it's just an introductory it's just an introduction just a table of content of what's to come yeah even more false teaching is what it's gonna lead to uh, but that's much better than opening up the Bible and getting into it and <clears throat> becoming disciples and knowing God's will and discerning I mean I mean these dream I mean that was a radical elephant did you guys get that same impression that was a radical 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 elephant yes wow but what's radical is that's what the focus is all the music all the experience even dreams over can we just get into the bible now and you wonder why that behavior not only continues, but it gets worse and more aberrant as you go, it seems. But you're not becoming disciples. I don't know where these people are at with God. I don't know if they're saved or not. But even if they are saved, my heart still goes out to them because you're never going to become a disciple if that's all you're doing. You only become a disciple, mathetes, a disciplined learner. You only grow up in Christ when you're in the Bible. And they're being led astray. And that, that really breaks my heart. And I'm talking about those, because again, I've said before, I said at the very beginning of our study, I'm not saying everybody who's charismatic, I'm not saying everybody who's in the assembly of a God uh, is not a Christian. I'm not saying that. What's sad is you're never going to grow up spiritually if that's what you're seeking. So it's sad. Now the next guy we're going to take a look at is this guy, David Youngy Cho. Okay, also known as Paul. I don't know why, but he's known by uh, two different names. But uh, David Youngie Cho, and out of the Assemblies of God. And the reason why I bring him up is because he is the senior pastor of the largest church in the world. The world, Assemblies of God. It's the Yoido Full Gospel Church. Now, full gospel, that's another code word in the charismatic community. Full gospel, that means they believe in all the gifts, including the gibberish and all that stuff. So when you see full gospel, it's a charismatic uh, entity, okay? But is this guy, I mean, he's got the biggest church in the world. So surely he's a blessing to the body of Christ. They're being in, they're understanding God's will, they're getting into the word, and I wish I could see that. Unfortunately, you're seeing a pattern here. Uh, he is one of the biggest uh, sewer pipes of the word faith movement, okay, and has been for decades, okay, and this is in Korea. Uh, but again, why I bring him up also is because he supposedly prophesied the Brownsville revival that was coming in 1991, four years prior. So when that happened, the leadership of Brownsville Assembly of God, and he's also assembly of God placed the story of Cho's prophecy on the Brownsville website and uh, so it was kind of like it's got to happen he said it was going to happen it's going to happen and then you know that was you know 91 and and nothing happened and then 92 nothing happened and as we saw 93 guess what the senior pastor starts preaching on they got it on their website 
We've got to have revival, 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 revival. And so then uh, for the next two years, what's he saying? It's still up on the website. We're going to have revival. I'm going to leave if you guys don't get accepting this revival. Hey, here's Steve Hill. He wants to do a revival. Crazy. When you put it all together. But he is so full of false teachings, not just a word of faith, but it's, it's all kinds of one. But let me give you a little teaser. Here's what Mr. Cho claims about Jesus. Quote, Jesus is bound to what you speak forth. You create the presence of Jesus with your mouth. He, Jesus, is bound by your lips and your words. Whoa. Now, as we saw before, uh, that's uh, Hinduism. That's New Age. Uh, the occult is very big. What do you think witchcraft does? It's all about the power of the, the word, the spoken word. Spells, it's got to be done in a certain way because those, and that's where the power comes from. That's the occult, folks. But see, if you just call it word faith, then somehow it makes it Christian. No, okay? Uh, but but this, this is the same teaching found in witchcraft, occultism, new age. Uh, it's the, the name it and claim it, uh, blab it and grab it group we've been talking about many, many times. Uh, but anyway, but basically they elevate man and to the status of God, then they denote Jesus as a mere errand boy summoned to accomplish your whims and fancies. It's a, it's a false Jesus, okay? Now, let me get into it. What's his background? Okay, well, he was born in 1936. Again, he founded the Yoido Full Gospel Church, Assemblies of God. Again, it's the world's largest, listen to this, a membership of 830,000 people. Did you hear that? No, no, shh. That was Rick Warren crying right now. Because this guy's blowing him away. <laughs> Rick Warren better find out what techniques this guy's using. Better get in, get in the act. Uh, speaking of which, this guy was also a big promoter of the church growth movement. So, you know, I mean, who wouldn't want to do what this guy's doing? Because he's got 830,000 people. What's, that's, because that's how you, that's a successful church. The more numbers, the more, no. We dealt with that before. But he was raised initially a Buddhist. He supposedly converted to Christianity at the age of 17. He believed that God called him to mystery, so he went to study theology at Full Gospel Bible College in Seoul. So guess what he got indoctrinated with? The charismatic mindset. He founded in 76 the Church Growth International. He began to teach these principles to church growth to pastors all over the world. So who influenced who here? Right? But again, there's all kinds of problems with this guy. And it's not a blessing. It's all kinds of false teaching. But also, in September 2011, 29 elders of the church filed a lawsuit against him uh, because they said he embezzled 23 billion won. Now, let's put that in American dollars. That's $20 million from the Yoido Full Gospel Church. And it was such an obvious, horrible witness that even today, the lost still mock what this guy did. Let's take a look. David Yonggi Choi is one of the most successful pastors in South Korea. In fact, in South Korean history, he's gigantic, he's made a lot of money, and gotten a lot of people to follow South Korea's Yodo Full Gospel Church. And as he's been doing that, he's been taking a lot of the full bank account that they had and put it into his pocket. And hence, he's been caught on that and he's now facing a prison sentence. I'm going to tell you about that in a second. First, let me tell you all the wonderful things he's taken for the church. First, there was a $12 million church fund that uh, he went ahead and decided should go in his pocket rather than someone else's. And then he took an $18 million severance pay in 2008 as he was leaving. What are you, CEO? What do you, run Bank of America? <laughs> Which pastor takes an $18 million severance pay? It's crazy. That's awesome. Uh, and then he is also accused of embezzling $20 million and privatizing church assets. Because if there's one thing that Jesus would do, it's privatize church assets. <laughs> Man, no shame whatsoever, right? And that's just some of the charges against him. There's a whole heap of others that are not monetized. Like, we don't know exactly how much he took in the other cases. You just add those three up right there and you're looking at, what are we looking at? Whoa, $50 million. Okay, so um, what are the charges that he's uh, facing now? Embezzlement charges for encouraging church officials in 2002 to buy stock owned by his son, which by the way, he wanted them to buy it at four times the market price. Well, Jesus would want you to buy his son's stock at four times the price, right? Jesus loved the money changers, right? 
Uh, so what did he get? Well, he got three years in prison for that and uh, $4.6 million in fines. Now the question then arises, three years in prison and giving back $4.6 million out of at least $50 million that he took. I'm wondering, what would Jesus do? Yeah, those people aren't saved that I know of. Is that a good witness? You wonder why when you and I try to witness, because a lot of this unfortunate behavior that's coming out of the charismatic community, that they look at as cross-eyed and say, you're one of those people. And then once again, that if you're a pastor, oh, all you want is my money. Where are they getting that impression from? It's a consistent, unfortunate pattern. Now, he gets it wrong on all kinds of stuff. Okay, bibliology, the method of interpretation, basically symbolizing the scripture, you know, God told me what it really means. Well, once you start doing that, instead of common sense interpretation rules that you do for any document, uh, you can twist it to make anything. And that's why he gets it wrong on so many things. But that's the mindset the charismatic. God told me what it really means is this and that, and it stands for this, and it symbolizes this and this. No, God means what he says. And he wants us to understand it. And it's not written difficult on purpose. So you can't understand it. He wants us to know his word. Give me a break. So he gets it wrong on that. So he gets it wrong. And I don't have time to get into this because we're going to get into the next guy. Doctor, he gets it wrong on the doctrine of God, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, soteriology, obviously salvation, doctrine of sin, doctrine of angelology. He gets it wrong on uh, even aspects of biblical prayer. He uh, promotes self-esteem, inner healing, which is uh, secular psychology stuff. New age, he adds to the scripture. And let me just give you a little bit more of how far out he gets with this word faith stuff, but also how he basically, remember how Joseph Smith was not like a con artist involved in the occult in our Mormonism study? Uh, and, uh, but remember how he was a big plagiarist, right? And he got a lot of his stuff basically from the uh, occult and he just revamped it and Christian uh, tried to put Christianese on it. Remember that was the same thing uh, in the Seventh-day Adventists with Ellen uh, G. White. She ripped a bunch of stuff off. She was a plagiarist on the bulk of her work, right? Uh, remember how even in our Scientology study, uh, we also saw that L. Ron Hubbard, that a lot of his techniques that he got was from Aleister Crowley, including all these levels that the Scientologist has to work up to. That's, that's out of, uh, uh, from Aleister Crowley. That's from Satanism. And then you had to pay money. He had to pay money to Aleister Crowley to get the next level of information to do the next occult technique. Remember that? Well, you see the same thing with these guys. They're just taking the occult techniques and they're trying to put Christianese on. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, he, he, he has developed what's called the law of incubation. And this is straight out of the occult. Here's how it works. Quote, first make a clear-cut goal, then draw a mental picture, vivid and graphic, to visualize success. Then incubate it into reality and finally speak into existence through the creative power of the spoken word. Folks, again, that's... What New Age does, that's what, I remember doing that when I wasn't saved, or at least trying, but it never worked. You know why? Because you're not God. Uh, he also teaches a concept called the fourth dimension. He says the first three dimensions are physical and controlled by the fourth, which is spiritual. So he teaches, quote, that Christians can get anything they want, calling upon the spirit world in the fourth dimension, and then just visualizing what you want. When a person, oh, by the way, this works for Christian or non-Christians, but it's supposed to be the Spirit of God, whatever. He says it works for a person, Christian or unsaved, follows the proper formula of positive thinking, speaking and visualizing. They incubate, they eventually give birth to their desires. Now, where do you get this from? Well, Korea, obviously, similar techniques that's involved uh, in the occult in that area, certainly with Buddhism and those kind of practices. Uh, Cho is aware of this fact. Listen, he even admits the similarities of the occult, but, quote, believes that, quote, what works for them will work for us, so use it. Wow. That's not a blessing. Okay, and of course, what they have is the big one is the deification of man. Not just saying that you are God because you can speak these, in essence, because you can speak whatever you want to existence, which would mean you'd have to have God-like powers. But they literally say that you're gods. This is that little God's false teaching we already saw before with Copeland, including Benny Hinn, who declares, quote, God came from heaven, became a man, made man into little gods, and then went back to heaven as a man. You know, that's almost starting to sound like Mormonism. Who believes that you can become gods? 
But anyway, whatever. So that. But hey, Benny Hinn, what do you say? Yeah, well, hey, he's next on the list. He's also Assemblies of God. Did you know that? And we all know Benny Hinn's been such a great blessing to the body of Christ. Yeah, he's, of course, known for his, uh, the host of This Is Your Day on TBN, member of the Total Blasphemy Network. Uh, he was ordained by the, the Assemblies of God in 1994, so surely he's a blessing. Well, first of all, stop calling me Shirley, and once you look at the evidence, I would say no. Now, his real name is this, right? Because you're thinking, what is this guy's got this accent, right? Where, who, where's he from, right? His real name is Tufik Benedictus Hen, right? Hence, Benny Hen is what you would probably want to, you definitely don't want to run with Tufik, because everybody's going to say, what do you got? You're picking your teeth again? You're the, no, that, that's toothpick, but this is Tufik. Okay, but anyway, whatever. He was born in 1952. Uh, he's again known for the so-called miracle crusades, faith healing summits, and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Again, his uh, television program, This Is Your Day, which I like to say, this is your day to be deceived and led astray. And ripped off your money. What a day. This is your day. Yeah, turn the channel. He was born in Jaffa in 1952. His parents are Palestine, uh, Palestine and Greek, Egyptian, and also Palestinian, Armenian, Lebanese heritage. That's why he has the accent. He was actually raised within the Eastern Orthodox tradition, but after the 1967 Arab-Israeli war, they end up, his parents moved to Toronto. Okay, so they moved to Toronto. Uh, and he attends a school there called the George's Veneer Secondary School, but he did not graduate. And what's strange is, Hens states that his father was a mayor of Jaffa at the time of his birth, and that uh, uh, he, 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 even though he was uh, socially isolated as a child and handicapped with a severe stutter, he nonetheless was a first-class student. No, the records say you never did graduate. So this is the first of string of many stories this guy makes up. Uh, and not just my media critics are just saying, dude, we can't find no records and none of whatever, you're making this up as you go. Uh, now, as a teenager in Toronto, he converted from Greek Orthodoxy to, it doesn't even say Christianity, it says Pentecostalism, okay? Uh, he was taught the Bible and mentored by this guy uh, as a young man. This is Benny Hinn. His, he, so he gets into Pentecostalism from Toronto in that area. He's starting to be, quote, disciple, if you even want to use that word, uh, by this guy, uh, Mr. Winston Nunes. Now, who's he? Well, he was a pastor of Broadview Faith Temple in Toronto from 1967 to 1999. Ben wrote, Ben wrote in his autobiography, quote, Noons, this guy, was one of the most remarkable, quote, spirit-led ministers who ever lived. I don't think so, but uh, we'll get to that in a second. And Hen said that he had been deeply impacted by this Noons guy. Well, who's, who's this Noons guy? Well, he was born on the island of Trinidad in 1912. Uh, he was uh, uh, influenced by the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada who was witnessing over there in Trinidad. So that's how he got into that. He was ordained in the 1930s by the uh, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And he was a part of what was called there at the, uh, in the Toronto area, the, what was called the Latter Rain Outpouring. Okay. Once again, it was another supposed revival, right? That this guy was a part of. And uh, Noons was a frequent guest speaker. Assemblies of God had recognized the ministry of Noons, but was concerned about some of the practices and beliefs that started to come out that they labeled the Latter Rain Revival. Now, what is this Latter Rain Revival? So now we have another so-called revival after Azusa Street. This one is about in the 19, yeah, 1948 that this one supposedly broke out in Toronto, okay, by this Noons guy. And let me explain to you this so-called latter rain movement thing, what, all the heresies that's coming out of this, right? It teaches that the Lord is pouring out his spirit again, just like he did at Pentecost, and he's using believers to prepare the world for his second coming. So does God need us in order to come back? No, that's a false teaching right there. They're also anti-dispensational, but, and also all millennial, saying that there is no millennium. Okay, uh, but anyway, this happened in 1948, this revival in Saskatchewan, Canada, and uh, that this news guy was a part of, frequent speaker. And uh, th- here's just some of the, the things that they falsely teach. Of course, the gibberish aspect, that's a given. Uh, cr- they say that Christians can be demonized and require deliverance. Is that true? We dealt with that in our spiritual warfare study. No, it isn't. He, they say that God has restored all offices of the ministry to the church, including the apostle and prophet. Is that true? 
No, and that's a big problem because now God supposedly told you with a new word from God outside the word of God. And if that even was true, then we need to start recording all this and making a new New Testament. Right? If it's supposed to be from God, but that would be blasphemy, but that's really what they're saying. Of course, the divine healing, they say, they say, listen, praise and worship will usher God into our presence. Well, last time I checked, God will do whatever he wants to do. He's also omnipresent, and he's not waiting for you to jump up and down, hoot and holler like an Indian rain dance in order to come. Okay, that would make him dependent upon you. Okay, which wouldn't make him God. But anyway, whatever. They say that women have full and equal ministry role in the church. Is that true? No. Denominational lines will be destroyed, and the church will unify in the last days. The more you continue on, what am I seeing from you? I'm seeing all kinds of splits. I'm not seeing unity. I'm seeing split after split after split after split. Uh, They say that the church will be victorious over the world and usher in Christ's kingdom. So is that what Jesus is waiting for? For us to take over the planet? No, that's a false teaching. And many so-called apostles in the latter rain movement teach the doctrine of the manifest sons of God. Listen, it's a heretical doctrine that says the church will give rise to a special group of overcomers who will receive spiritual bodies becoming immortal. Wow. But hey, dare you question because this amazing revival has been going on for, for, for many months now and, and people are wiggling and there's weird, strange things going on and they, they, they had a radical, 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 radical vision from God and dream and so this has got to be from God. Yeah, whatever, right? But anyway, so the, the latter rain movement, believe it or not, folks, influences most, quote, branches of the charismatic movement even today including the Brownsville, Pensacola Revival, Toronto, and all that baloney. But this is the guy that Benny Hinn said was one of the biggest influences on him ever. Excuse me? So that's starting to give you a clue of what's going on with this uh, Mr. Hinn guy. Now, another big influence that Mr. Hinn said influenced him in his so-called ministry, if you want to call it that, was in 1973 now. So he's influenced by that guy. He's full-blown into this now. Uh, But he went from Toronto... Benny Hinn, to Pittsburgh to attend a, quote, miracle service. Now, a lot of hands techniques, when you see it, the laying on the hands, the throwing of the jacket, and all this kind of crazy stuff we've dealt with before, right? Nothing new under the sun. He just borrows from other people. Now, one of the people that he borrowed a lot of his stuff from is from this lady, which we'll probably have a whole study on, Catherine Kuhlman, okay? He attended her healing services and often cited her as, again, a major influence in her life. Right, so not just this news guy, but now this lady. Right? And again, we're going to have a, probably a whole study on that. Uh, he looked at her, quote, almost as a, quote, female spirit guy. Okay, and her techniques. Notice her the hands and all that stuff and, and, and the music and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but he said that, quote, he claimed he was shown a vision of his ministry, the future of his ministry, from Catherine Kuhlman and what he described the vision of the night. Right? Now, obviously, and we're going to see in a second, he also visited her grave in the grave of another lady. I'll get to in a second. But when a person dies, do they come back to the planet? No, what's the Bible say? You're either straight in heaven or straight in hell. Do you come back? No. If you do see an apparition, and the apparition even looks like, uh, tries to appear like, or even sounds like so-called loved one, is it really the loved one? Is it really Abraham Lincoln? Is it Cleopatra? No, it's a demon, as we talk about familiar spirit. Listen to what he rely, he's relying upon this uh, so-called vision, right? He said this, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you something right now. The Lord showed me a vision. I had a vision of the night. What I saw myself, I walked into a room and there stood Catherine Kuhlman. <gasps> yeah. She said to me, quote, follow me. I don't think so. I think I'll follow Jesus. He's the one that says those words, Right? He said it was hurt, but he says, when I woke up and when I got up, when I came out of that vision, I was trembling. I was perspiring from head to toes. I I, I know exactly what that vision means. It it was Catherine Kuhlman who took me, who introduced me to the Holy Spirit. That's so wrong on a multitude of levels and we're almost out of time. Wow. And he says, "And, and just now I feel another platform, another dimension, another level is really coming. Yeah, another level of false teaching. But as we close, again, He also, and I've shared this before, but I I found the video clip. This is crazy. He also admits that he went to the grave of Catherine Kuhlman 
also Amy Simple McPherson, which we'll have another study on, Lord willing. And he said, quote, at their grave, this is like necromancy, folks, at their grave, quote, God's power came all over him. From dead people? Here it is. Watch this. One of the strangest experiences I had a few years ago visiting Amy's tomb in California. This Thursday, I'm on TBN. Friday, I'm going to go and visit Catherine Kuhlman's tomb. It's close by Amy's in Forest Lawn Cemetery. I've been there once already. And every so often, I like to go and pay my respects because this great woman of God has touched my life. And the grave uh, where she's buried is closed. They built walls around it. You can't get in without a key. And I'm one of the very few people who can get in. But I'll never forget when I saw Amy's tomb. It's incredibly dramatic. She was such a lady that her tomb has seven-foot angels bowing on each side of her tomb with a gold chain around it. As, As incredible as it is that someone would die with angels bowing on each side of her grave, I felt a terrific anointing when I was there. I actually, I, I hear this, I trembled when I visited Amy's tomb. I was shaking all over, God's park came all over me. The man with me and I were shaking. Norm, who worked with, with Miss Gouin for years, took me there. And Norm and I were trembling under the power of God. I said, dear God, I said, I feel the anointing. I began to weep. From dead people. God's power came all over me. I believe the anointing, he says, has lingered over Amy's body and Catherine's. It's amazing. He goes on and says, I've heard of people, of course, you, got, you hear of it. I heard of people uh, being healed when they visited that tomb. They were totally healed by God's power. You say, what a crazy thing, brother. He says, uh, there's things we'll never understand. Are you all hearing me? No, I've shut you off a long time ago because you're a false teacher. And folks, this is the tip of the tip of the iceberg. This guy is coming out again. What's the context? The Assemblies of God, another split off from the Azusa Street Revival. I'm just looking at the facts. I don't think this is a blessing to the body of Christ. But there's so many things going on with this guy. We're probably going to have to have another study all on him. Lord willing, next time. But let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries. And I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well... You guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, Even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. 
And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place, so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven. right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, For instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, Uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave, and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly, and please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.